Uh, welcome to another TMG interview. My name is Paul Preston, talking to a director who in 10 years has amassed an impressive nine short films, 11 episodes of serious television, and a feature film. This all, of course, according to IMDb, he could tell me I'm wrong, but uh, pretty impressive. And his latest short film is a collaboration with Riz Ahmed, and it's called The Long Goodbye, which you can see on YouTube right now, by the way. Go to Riz Ahmed's YouTube page. You can watch the film as soon as we're done here, or go watch it, come back. We're going to talk either way. Please welcome Anil Karia. Thank you, Anil, for coming. Thanks for having me, Paul. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, I can tell people about the film, but so much, ha a lot happens in this short film. So I'll let you tell everyone what it's about to entice them to go check it out. Well, it's, it's about a British Asian family. Um, we join them on a day of, uh, of celebration. They're celebrating the early stages of their daughter's wedding. Their home is kind of unexpectedly invaded by kind of a quite dark presence. And I'll, I guess I should leave it at that. And then <laughs> it's, it's hard not to completely kind of, uh, you know, spoil it. So, so yeah, like, like you said, you can check it out on YouTube on Riz Ahmed's page. It's called The Long Goodbye. Yeah, it's a comment on military factions within Britain. And perhaps a, uh, actually, this would be the question to ask, I suppose. Is this then a metaphor or is it a, a prediction or is it very much right now that people could be pulled from their homes and dealt with a violent situation while just living their lives? Yeah, well, I think that's a good question. I think it probably exists in a kind of blurry space between all those things, you know, like, I mean, it clearly, thank God, it isn't right now in on the streets of London, but it is right now for, you know, certain communities around the world. It's not a abstract kind of fiction or it's not something that's confined to the kind of annals of history only, you know. I think we like to think that these things happen in a kind of abstract black and white past or in in fiction, but but yeah, I mean, in in our lifetime, in whether it's in Myanmar or um, you know Bosnia or things like that, the ethnic cleansing ha happens. It's not meant to be too intellectual, a a process of kind of predicting or or even warning. It's not meant to be too kind of earnest in that sense. It's more a kind of a kind of personal process of like trying to trying to live out our darkest nightmares, I suppose, like trying to kind of excavate the deepest, darkest fears and anxieties that live in the kind of back of our minds of what may be or what could be. And, you know, Riz and I started figuring this film out in, I mean, I was going to say in quite a kind of toxic, febrile political moment. It seems like we're in one long toxic, febrile political moment now. But particularly back then when kind of Brexit here was coming to a head and the kind of this insidiously kind of poisonous, like quite racist rhetoric was starting to creep into mainstream politics and things, you know, that all felt like it was really boiling to a kind of peak. It was the beginning of a really kind of anxiety inducing era um, that perhaps we're still in and uh, yeah it was us so in a sense it was kind of coming from more of a personal place than an intellectual place of just kind of trying to root out these fears and anxieties and almost do something like almost cathartic with them I suppose just by kind of living them out and like spewing them onto the screen I guess for want of a better phrase. Yeah and that's what's uh, especially creepy about it is with more time you'd probably go into an explanation of who these people are who are arriving at your door and what the, but just the fact that it's kind of shadowy figures moving real fast family's got to deal with it is really really tense 
And you mentioned you and Riz sort of just grabbed onto the same idea of wanting to do something. So yeah, it should be noted, you didn't cast Riz in the film. He didn't hire you as director. You met and said, we got to do something together. So was it a no-brainer then to look to Riz's album, The Long Goodbye, that he has an album uh, with the same name as the short film, uh, as the source material? Yeah, I mean, so like you say, yeah, we, we were introduced by another director. Um, Riz had seen some of my work that he was kind of fond of and wanted to talk. I was obviously very familiar with, with Riz's work and had always been a fan. And he wanted to kind of make something together, but come at it quite kind of organically, quite kind of, I guess, in a kind of non-industry strategic kind of way. He just wanted to kind of begin a conversation and see where we ended up. He was in the final stages of figuring out that album so so it became a you know a, a point of conversation he shared some tracks with me but it I guess it just so happened like I was saying it, it, we started talking in this very particular moment in in the in Britain it was no real surprise that like a lot of the topics on my mind and the things that were kind of creatively fueling me but also emotionally crossed over into into that album he'd been creating I mean, it was impossible not to have your mind dominated by the political kind of context of that time back then. So yeah, there was this quite effortless kind of common ground we found. And then it just became about how we wanted to tackle that, those themes, you know. We had kind of long rambling conversations. It was quite a nice way of working kind of over cups of tea in, in cafes in London. At a certain point, I went away and came up with a handful of kind of quite crude, like, ideas of what we could what this film could become and we quite quickly landed on one which was I guess the bare bones of what this film became although in quite a different state at that time and together we then continued those conversations and kept on honing it kept on kind of you know two steps forward one step back kind of thing reworking it kind of interrogating it you know playing devil's advocate with each other trying to push it further into a kind of even bolder and more provocative and, and powerful direction, hopefully. And yeah, just kind of, you know, honing it, I, I guess, until we got it to where we wanted to. And I went away and came up with this kind of script, uh, not a traditional script. I, I kind of work more in these kind of scriptment, beat sheet type documents. And yeah, it was not long from then until shooting it, really, just a few weeks. And, you know, you talk about political narratives in the world that sort of inspire you but uh, of course when you look at a song like where are you from that uh, is on riz's album there's a lot of talk about identity did you bond with riz on a struggle with identity in this world in the current world or even growing up uh, i'm definitely not as articulate as riz <laughs> he, he has an amazing skill for putting quite abstract and complicated concepts uh, and emotions even into into words in a really really eloquent way and that's one of the great pleasures of working with him i've found he was exploring that theme of identity a lot at the time and what it means to be an immigrant or a second generation immigrant in a country and what it means to be british asian and how you're both but neither quite one or the other and how that leaves you in this kind of no man's land and he talks very eloquently about that and how you're kind of left in this slight limbo. But then he flips that and starts talking quite inspiringly, I think, about the idea of putting a flag into that, into that no man's land and occupying it and 
making it one's home you know and moving away from this notion of like oh well i can't be 100 except except that as asian because i you know i was born here i feel british and instead kind of making this hazy you know no man's land a, a real home and a really valid haven i suppose and i found that quite beautiful conceptually i mean identity i think identity especially when it comes to one's national identity in inverted commas is something I, I find quite confusing personally speaking and I've never f- quite felt kind of entirely at home with. So yeah, I think I think that that really chimed a lot. Yeah. And Riz has described the film as defiant. So do you uh, you see that the same way? I think so. Yeah. One thing I was quite keen to not do with the film was to take it in this kind of worthy, uh, preachy kind of direction where you feel yeah, yeah. like you're where you feel like you're being kind of whacked over the head with like a lesson or a lecture or a point. It really was setting out to be a kind of emotional, experiential kind of journey rather than a kind of chin-stroking intellectual kind of one. I think that was really important that you kind of felt it and kind of lived it and breathed it rather than felt like you were given a talking to. I think it was also important linked to that i think it was important that end kind of act where it shifts into something a little bit more poetic and unreal and riz breaks the fourth wall and performs that beautiful kind of monologue or speech or rap or whatever it is it's all those things yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly i think i think what happens there is hopefully stops it from being this kind of okay wow that was a incredibly bleak piece of social realism and i feel kind of thoroughly depressed and scared you know for where we may be going and it takes it into this slightly more defiant as you say and and even hopeful kind of place where some power or agency is risen therefore by proxy his family in that film are kind of taking back some kind of agency and, and power and and I think it I think it's hopeful because of that and so that felt quite important, yeah. And and like I said, it was strangely cathartic, kind of trying to live out this, like, one's deepest fears in that sense and arrive at a place that still felt like you had some control or something. One moment in the film that is particularly uh, distressing is when the, the violence arrives at the door of this family and they're pulled in the street and one character says, help us to people in another home who just sit and watch and do nothing. So that kind of bystander society is, is where we are now. And I think technology doesn't help. You know, we're all at a distance now with the uh, phones and everything. Was that what you were trying to convey with a moment like that? Or Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, again, that certainly wasn't a preachy or judgmental moment. It was, it yeah, was more... Yeah, very a, simple. Yeah. Yeah, it was more a comment on how, how tremendously easy it is to almost inadvertently become complicit in these very harmful systems, you know. You know, I include myself in that, someone who probably, you know, could always be doing more than they are and yet don't. And and I think you're right about kind of technology. I think that does play a role in it, you know. I don't want to get into <laughs> dangerous territory, but yeah, you're mm-hmm. surrounded these this week, for instance, by social media posts about Ukraine and, and, and uh, how much people are feeling for the people of the Ukraine and things. And, and it's complicated, isn't it? Because in one sense, it's completely legitimate. You know, I, I feel that too. And in another sense, it's a kind of, I don't know, it's like a, a, a false sense of 
doing anything you know like it, it, well i it, shared it you know like yeah right that's, yeah. that's probably where it ends right i mean for a lot of people that's right yeah and i understand it but that's just the kind of strange realm that technology is now it's like it creates this sense that something more is being done than actually is so yeah that that shot of those people at the window was that was not judgmental it was more just a comment on how it's very 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 easy for us all to become complicit in really harmful kind of systems which without even knowing it kind of creeps up on us i suppose yeah and i mean they someone, may have been shocked into nothing doing nothing you know shocked into stillness and yeah like, right, I, right i'm yeah. at, at a loss of what yeah yeah i mean that's the crazy thing about that moment what are they meant to do like you know like yeah you know it's all very well for us to sit there and kind of shake a finger at them or tut tut you know but like <laughs> yeah which of us is going to run out onto that street with those yeah but you know yeah it's just meant to pose question i suppose one of my favorite bands for 20 plus years is Rage Against the Machine. And I have to admit, when I listen to them, I rock out and I feel great. And then there's this guilt where I'm like, wow, am I doing enough? Because these guys are like a call to action, you know, in every song of theirs. And it's like, so I feel kind of the same way. It's like, oh, I love that music. Am I doing enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a, that, was, that was a huge, um, a huge part of my adolescence, <laughs> that music. Yeah. I absolutely love them and they they tapped into something yeah really primal in me as a as a kid but yeah um uh, sadly I think I was kind of oblivious to the the meaning that they were actually like pushing towards you know at age 13 I don't think I understood it but yeah I know exactly what you mean but to this day Tom Morello you know walks the walk so you can still Oh, man, find out yeah. what he's doing and maybe get in line with uh, some of his efforts you know yeah it's true. yeah he's really special but how do you arrive at when you're uh, making the short the three segments that comprise it it's kind of a family sequence the attack sequence and the finale was that because i know it was largely improvised but you said we're going to improvise within these three segments you plotted it all out i imagine yeah it, it was this kind of sweet spot between quite structured actually and then improvisation so so what, what I ended up with was actually an Excel document, believe it or not, which sounds really dry when it comes to any kind of creative endeavor, but... Screenwriting um, software to the stars, Excel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was quite intricately plotted out in a sense, you know, in terms of, okay, we begin in this room and this is happening and the energy is this and such and such having like an argument or whatever. And then like the exact moment where the pe people enter the house and then et cetera, et cetera. So in a sense, it was very intricately mapped out, but there was enough freedom and flexibility and openness within that kind of quite structured framework that dialogue and things were, were improvised and it still allowed for those kind of unexpected moments and, and, and nuance and, and dialogue to just go in its own journey. So yeah, we tried to achieve this sweet spot, I suppose, between something structured so much that we knew where the film was going and that we were beginning at A and ending at B kind of thing. But yeah, with enough openness that we could bring that kind of authenticity and kind of just like real rhythm to it, I suppose. And those tonal shifts were important because I think they were what was exciting about it. They were what was going to stop it being this kind of just relentless piece of kind of social realism all in one tone what was exciting about that film was that it it felt like it was going into unexpected places tonally hopefully 
departing from the kind of worthy tone that it might have taken otherwise. And how do you direct some of those improvised moments? Like I would think, you know, we got some cameras here, we're going to capture everything, but can you guarantee some gem is going to always happen on camera? Like if someone says something, no, I didn't have the camera. It's like, do we redo that? Try and recapture the magic? How does that all happen? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I mean, well, firstly, I think the cinematographer Stuart Bentley is very, very important in that respect because he's he's amazing at that kind of uh, working in that kind of way. He's very, very inst- the idea is to be instinctive to the actors rather than the actors being instinctive to the camera. So he's amazing at like almost this choreography where he kind of locks into the he's not a part of the scene, but he kind of is. So he kind of locks into the the dynamic and the characters and he's all kind of feeling out and he's kind of almost there's almost something psychic about just feeling where the next beat is going to come from. He's really, really talented at that. You don't um, worry because you know, he knows who's going to talk next, right? Yeah. He's got the vibe. I don't know how he knows. But he knows <laughs> yeah, exactly. It. But then there's also just in a really practical sense, what I end up doing is, you know, we talk a lot about the scene. Um, we don't rehearse it. We just go into it. We're always rolling the first time we go into it. Inevitably that first take is quite baggy and like, roaming and kind of yeah, long and then we'll regroup and talk about what we liked about it what what felt like it was working what subjects what what conversation subjects were kind of felt like they had potential we might shave stuff away and then do another take and then it it becomes leaner and it, you find these little gems within it and you will repeat things a little bit you know you you won't the aim won't be to repeat them verbatim or like in exactly the same intonation, but you'll be like, okay, this is working. This kind of joke here is working on this, you know? So yeah, you, you do, you do shape it like through, through whatever it is, five takes, you, you start to craft something so that by the time you're doing take five, hopefully you've got something kind of sharp. Uh, well, again, thanks for your time. We've already gone longer than the film, but that's, <laughs> but I just have a couple more questions because I want to talk about the Oscars. Obviously, the nomination is the best possible result of making a short film, but you did have a festival run. So how did that go for you? Again, I appreciate because I'm thinking about it. This is a two years of answering these questions. And, <laughs> and so I'm, again, grateful. But I know that the long goodbye played here in L.A. at Holly Shorts. And where else did it go? And what kind of conversation did it spark or a reaction? Were there tears? Were there uh, what happened? Yeah, well, actually, you know, this film was an interesting experience in the sense that we shot it just before the pandemic, but then finished making it once the pandemic had begun. So once we like let it out there to live, it was living this very much, you know, pandemic mm-hmm. um, virtual virtual, virtual fests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we weren't we weren't seeing it with audiences. Sadly, we weren't talking to people face to face about it. But as you, you well know it had its own kind of magic that that kind of experience because whilst we were like and in britain we were like pretty heavily locked locked down um it back when it came out it was kind of amazing because it was almost like this living like you know relation of yours that was like out in the world actually living and moving around the world if that doesn't (laughs) sound too ridiculous so you've let your son go and he's uh... yeah yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he that wasn't locked down it was kind of living and breathing and like going to all these different places and different communities and it was it ended up being this quite like special form of connection to the rest of the world so you'd, you'd obviously read about it or have zooms or zooms about it and hear people's 
reaction to it and people had really strong emotional reaction to it so it was kind of it was kind of amazing having this living thing you know out there during the pandemic i've said before that like when you're in the just in the intense madness of trying to actually shoot that film we didn't have very long we had two days and they happened to be the two shortest days of the year because uh, we shot it in the depths of winter so we had like six and a half hours of daylight for two days to make the film and uh, you know, all of which is shot in natural light pretty much. So it was such a kick bollock scramble. It was really intense just trying to like get it done. So my point being that when you're in that, like when you're in the storm, the eye of the storm, you're, you're certainly not thinking about what it might win or festivals, let alone that it might be nominated for an Oscar one day. It's far too abstract and surreal a concept and you haven't got time to consider it. So having seen it kind of go on this like slow burn, like, unbelievable journey where it's you know it's one yeah holly holly shorts it won uh the audience uh, um film festival grand grand prix which is another oscar qualifying one in britain it won the biffa best short film the london critic circle best short film it won like golden lion and can and stuff like that we just it's just continuously blown our minds how much kind of love and support it's received I don't think we thought it would go this far to Oscar nomination, but yeah, it, it has. And it's, um, it's crazy. Yeah. I think I probably peaked too soon with this film. <laughs> <laughs> but look, you've had a response also from parliament, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was talked about in parliament, an MP in, in the UK called it required viewing. That's pretty awesome. And urged Boris Johnson to watch it. I very much, doubt he ever did <laughs> but, uh, but yeah um no well, that was, was 13 minutes boris come on i mean what, yeah busy guy <laughs> lots of cheese and wine parties to go to and things but yeah um no it, it's yeah it's been amazing it's been amazing well uh again thanks for your time and uh have a great time at the oscars but i will finish with the question i ask everybody which is what is your favorite movie of all time Oh my god wow <laughs> and that's the response i always get <laughs> right yeah have you heard of it <laughs> okay well i'm not unusual if i say i should always struggle with that kind of question because there are lots but i'm really i'm a really fond of uh taste of cherry by abbas karistami the iranian filmmaker see now yeah. this is why i do this i gotta write that down and go watch that yeah, yeah, it's a slow it. one. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, if it's good, I'll. I always say if it's good, I'll take ten hours. You know. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's about it's about ten hours. No, it's, it's not really. Uh, yeah. No, I, it, it's always hard to answer that question. Yeah, that on network. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I need to see that one again as well because I think I saw it too young and it, most of it went over my head. I enjoyed it, but I think right, I need, yeah, need to revisit yeah. Network in Chinatown because I oh, might yeah, have been too yeah. young for both of those. But uh, all right. Well, thanks for joining. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I watched The Long Goodbye, and that made me want to watch your other short film, uh, Beat, with Ben Wishaw, which mm. I did. And now that has me curious about Surge, which I will go and watch before I watch Taste of Cherry. That is your feature <laughs> film from 2020. So a lot of re required viewing out there for all of you. And if you see The Long Goodbye, you'll no doubt be in my shoes and want to check it all out. So uh, that wraps another TMG interview. Follow us on Twitter at The Movie Guys, Facebook and Facebook.com slash the movie guys youtube instagram uh, itunes all that nonsense for daily jokes articles media links and more and thanks to anil karia so go ahead and plug what do you, do you have uh, any social or anything websites that people should be following checking out 
Yeah, I've got a website. It's uh, anilcarrier.com. <laughs> and uh, I'm on Instagram. If you search for an Anil, I don't think there are many Anils. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to add me. Outstanding. Will do. Because I think it's private. But um, yeah, go ahead. And check out the long goodbye on YouTube. Again, just check out Riz Ahmed's YouTube page. It's right there. You can't miss it. And as ever, you can find out everything we're at at themovieguys.net. Thanks, Anil. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. Cheers.